um, and then we'll uh, get everything started. Uh, we'll talk. We've got a couple of um, couple of pop-ups for you, uh, a couple on the, the that are uh, uh, agenda items that came through the Planning Commission, came through with uh, uh, unanimous approval, and uh, Equity Development Corporation and exclusive designs. But I want uh, Lenny Newcomb to jump up. We, we may get a situation like we had with uh, Monument where the developer makes a request to you all sort of on the fly. We may not, but I just want to give him uh, that opportunity. I think you all have a good handle on the Camp Allen School and the grant that's on your agenda. We've all done the ground baking, but in the, in the event that anybody needs information, um, David Ricks is, is prepared to jump up on that. And then um, we've had some conversation and some emails flying back and forth the last, uh, say, 72 hours on the combined utility bill. And so in the event that the uh, Y'all want to hear something on that? And I sent you a uh, PowerPoint yesterday. And if anybody wants to discuss that or some information, Kristen Lentz is prepared to jump up uh, and, and talk about that. Um, also on on your agenda, uh, public hearing PH10 uh, is an item to renew a lease for Virginia Stationery. And candidly, that just got here quicker than it should have. And so I'm going to ask you all. Um, and I need Breck to kind of help me procedurally, but really want y'all to continue that indefinitely tonight. And Breck, I assume that requires a motion out front, and um, he's nodding his head, so we'll just don't want that to surprise you. Then um, Greg Patrick's going to come up, and I'll, I'll tee it up for you and do the, uh, the mid-year presentation and give you the, uh, the update on the, uh, the general fund and sort of where we stand there. I think it's, it's going to be a good... Uh, hopefully a thought-provoking conversation for you as we head into uh, the budget season and, and really what is kind of the new normal around this regional economy and, and uh, the slow growth that we've had and try and give some stuff to uh, that some context. Then Cynthia Hall from uh, Bernard Shop will jump up and um, uh, give a presentation on uh, the Palace on Plume and then we'll go into closed session. Um, I've got, um, I don't, uh, uh, I've actually put time on some of these things, and we'll try. We talked a lot of the retreat about uh, not letting stuff get ahead of us, so we'll um, spend about the next, uh, probably till 5.15 uh, on the pop-ups and then get into uh, the mid-year presentation. So if there are any questions, I'm going to ask Lenny to, to just give you a couple of minutes on the two planning items. On your agenda today on items C1 and C2, they are both non-standard lots as the manager explained, that have come to you with a positive recommendation from the Planning Commission. However, there are conditions on each of those that the builders are very likely going to want to talk to you about re revising or changing. So you may want to drop it from the C agenda to the regular agenda. The first one is 9274 Repard Avenue, Equity Development Corporation. This is a property in the north end of the city in what's known as West Ocean View. Repart Avenue is directly across the street from the Navy base. Um, the property has a house on it. They purchased it. They want to demo the house. Uh, it's not, uh, it, it's, this lot is 49 feet. It's in a district that requires 50 feet of width, 5,000 square feet. As a non-standard lot, you have two options. One, you can go through the city's design process or you can file a special exception. They have chosen the special exception route. Planning Commission looked at it made a recommendation to approve it, but subject to the following conditions. No garage shall project forward of the front facade of the house and must be either comprised of no more than 40% of the width of the house or be recessed back six feet from the front facade. Stoop or porch, um, not less than four by four feet, or a porch four, eight by six feet shall be covered and installed on the front of the house. 
The first floor shall be elevated to no less than 18 inches from grade. That's a flood elevation requirement. And that the sides of the house shall have fenestration in form of windows or doors on the side, so they're not just plain. Um, during the Planning Commission's hearing, the applicant said he would look into this. I believe from what we've heard recently, he would rather discuss this with you all than comply with all of those re requirements. That's C1. He would rather what? He'd rather discuss this with you about making some changes in those conditions. So it, what has happened is the Civic League voted on two garages. They wanted a two-car garage for this. It went before planning, and planning said they would only approve it if it had one-car garage. It's a 49-foot lot instead of 50. It's one foot off. But the issue, the concern is, is that um, the recommendations for it, it would meet the normal conditions for a two-car garage, but it's my understanding that we're going with form standards that have not even been adopted yet for that area. These are future, I think I said that right, form standards. It says it in here somewhere in the language I was just looking for, it, but we haven't even adopted that yet as a requirement. So they're basing it off of something that hasn't even been supported. So in general, a two-car garage would be allowed but the recommendation is to go ahead and do the one-car garage <coughs> because that's the future of Ocean View. Is it? I'm sorry. I, that's my understanding of it. Is it based on the the pattern of the block in which it exists, not on <coughs> form standard? This is a older part of the city where most of the houses are actually, in some cases, one story. This is going to be a two-story house. It's an eclectic collection out there. And there have been some new infill houses built further back into it. This is a little piece of the city that's trapped by the interstate on, on its east and by the Navy base essentially on the west and to the north. Um, design standards, form standards are things that we're looking at in regard to the new ordinance, but these are what we use when we do non-standard lots across the board. We've done this in all the other applications. Uh, these two are unusual because they come to you all as opposed to following the design process that's in place. You have an option, do a special exception or follow the guidelines. And on the garage, I've been reviewing it, and I can't see a limitation on the number of garage is just on the dimensions. Right. Correct. So it's just about the size of the garage. Well, so wouldn't, you could that, wouldn't that mandate then that it had to be one car? If the size well, is small? The, or are you talking about the picture that I would describe it as a uh, two-car garage, uh, so it's... Is it it's the one garage door or is it the two garage door? It's 40 feet in width. So was it, did, did the applicant accept in the planning commission the conditions that were there? The, That's the condition. I want to be very fair. The applicant said he would look into it and see what he could do to accommodate those conditions. So but, the planning commission voted for it even though he didn't say he would do it? Well, a special exception has the ability for the council, commission to recommend, council to approve, conditions on approval. If someone asks you for approval for something, you can condition it in any way that you think is appropriate to make it suitable for the location that it's proposed for. This I'm, is what the I'm planning sorry, commission I'm, did I'm still here. confused. When planning commission said they would approve it if he met those <coughs> conditions. Right? Yes, and so he said, I am not going to commit to meeting those provisions. 
So did planning commission then still approve it? Yes. What he said was he would look into it. Right. He did not have, his option was to take a 30-day continuance and see if he could comply or take the approval as it was presented, let it move to council and take that time to see if he could comply. We will hear from him tonight. I, and, and I, do we know we're hearing from him or we suspect? I would suspect. So that's so we don't know that it's coming forward. We, it's it's kind of like monument uh, a couple of meetings ago, and we just in the event that he brings it forward and says, "I want to essentially appeal this to you all." We wanted you to have a little bit of background before we got out. So, so the the issue that I had a conversation um, with Mr. Jacobius about was basically the garage. I didn't have issue. I didn't. He didn't seem to be concerned about the other pieces no. of the conditions, and so my issue then becomes if. If we ask people to go out into the community and we ask them to petition the community and, and get support, <clears throat> and then the city comes back and says, you, oh, you did everything we told you to do, but that's not what we want, and then we change it, I, I, don't, I don't think that sets a good example for, um, for, for us asking people to do that. I mean, if we're going to do what we want to do or, or, or if planning is going to do what they want to do, what's the purpose in even going to the community? purpose is seeking their recommendation because what you're suggesting is let the community decide and just go along with whatever they're suggesting. But we're seeking this is the community's input because they're there. It doesn't mean that the planning commission has to follow it. It certainly doesn't mean that we have to follow it. But he, but he was adopting it off of the regular standards, which was fine, but where the planning commission is making changes based off of something that hasn't even been voted on yet. Actually, these are the same oh, no, forms that are used with all the non-standard lots. All the non-standard lots. I mean, for that area. Let's list right. one at a time. Yeah. Go, ahead. Go ahead. We've done hundreds of these over the years. These are. This is a special exception. The city's able to put whatever regulations they want to in a special exception. And so it's, it's, it's a process he chose to go through. Rather than go through our normal design process, he's rolling the dice and decided he's going to try to lobby us harder and get something more than the normal process allows someone to get. So full disclosure, Nick is a good friend of mine. I delivered his kids and know his family really well. And he came to meet me on it, and I said, don't even go there. I, I mean it. I, I'm sorry. These are design standards. Um, he, I know, builds a lot of houses in Virginia Beach that are of this archetype. Um, and I told him, I said, I'm sorry, that's not what I think we want in our city. And I actually went down to see his townhouses that he built in Ocean View, and they're fine. And across the street from those townhouses are just these really charming houses that have been built to the standards of what we want to see in historic and our type of neighborhoods. I'm, I'm not saying what Nick builds is not a fine house. It just is not compliant with the kinds of things we're trying to keep in our city to make us unique. And um, I think if we have guidelines for 49-foot <coughs> lots, that he should need to comply with those. Um, at, at the very least, I am not going to approve any, any um, garage that juts out from the facade of the house. All right. I, I mean, I'm not going to vote for it. Tommy didn't do it. What do, you, and what do you mean by juts out? Can we? That's the house. See, look, we don't, we have, we don't have the picture, though. We have a picture. It's, it's an art. We have it. I, I didn't see it. Yeah, it's, it's not an art. All right, yeah, go ahead. So just in the interest yeah. of time. 
So yeah. part of this is not necessarily to, to solve it tonight. We just think it, it could come out, may well come out. We can also have this de debate, but it's um, 5.15, and we've got another item, and then if we want to talk about the utility piece, we got to get to that. So one of the things I committed to you at the retreat was I'd keep us on time to the extent that you'll allow. This is on consent agenda. It's coming to regular. Yeah, I hear you. That's why I'm trying so, to So, uh, Mamie. <coughs> so, Mr. Manager, if we're saying that we have to move on, and it is going to come before us, and we're discussing it um, now, and you saying that it's time out. Well, see, all I'm saying is okay. um, you've got an item that was approved unanimously by the Planning Commission, and it's on your consent agenda. We don't, it sounds like some of you all have been lobbied, so we suspect you may get some conversation out front. We're just trying to tee that up. We can spend, if y'all want to continue talking about it, we'll we it absolutely can. We just got several things to get through. Maybe go ahead. All right, if I may, the second one is a bit more confusing, and I don't know. Oh, great. I'm sorry, Mr. C2 is a property at uh, 1003 Tifton Street, exclusive designs. This property is 55 feet. It's in a district where 60 feet is required. The house that was there, the, the applicant bought the property, submitted a building permit to take a one-story house, put a second story on it, put additions on it, put a garage on it, and we said, you're expanding a nonconformity beyond 50%. You can't do that. You need to file your special exception. There's also a Chesapeake Bay issue here where the house is too far back. It needs to be moved up approximately four feet, five feet. And what they are proposing to do is use the existing foundation, use the existing water and sewer lines, all the services, the same, and then essentially take a one-story footing and go up with a two-story house. They were, t they were told to file their application. They did that. On December 20, staff went out to see this property, and we found that they had already demoed the house without a permit. Um, at that point, we are discussing with them what they're going to put back. We want to see the foundation replaced. It was The house was built um, quite a long time ago. The foundation is old. The water and sewer is bound to be old. Sometimes these houses are presented as being much newer than they are when they're done like this. So the recommendations here are the same. Same design would be called for in addition to asking that the foundation be replaced and the water and sewer lines be replaced. I have a question. Um, so what you're saying is they came to us, we told them what they had to do, and they went on ahead and demolished the house anyway. So they're asking for forgiveness after they ask for permission. Somewhat. Yes. Yes. Okay. Now, in that uh, packet that we had, it looked like part of the old house was on the property line. Is um, that, did I see that? I was looking at it last night. Did I see that right? Because it, it looked like on the property line, the old house kind of, or is that another, is that the other house that you were talking about? Uh, that's the other one, actually. This one's... They're, they're putting additions all the way around it. Okay. And it still stays within the setbacks, except that it is still impinges in the Chesapeake Bay buffer area. So even if we approve this tonight at their wishes, uh -huh. they're going to have to get a waiver from the Board of Zoning Appeals and the CBPA. So the current house infringed on the Chesapeake Bay buffer? Correct. Okay. So there isn't a grandfathering for that? Not after you tear it down. Oh, gotcha. That's, that's where they took it on their too own far. too far. Okay. Any questions? Thank you. Hey, thank you very much. 
Manager? Yes, sir. So um, lots of uh, email and some phone conversations with, with some of you back and forth. And so um, if, uh, if you like, uh, Utilities Director Kristen Lentz is prepared to stand up and, and show the, the PowerPoint that um, you all got yesterday relative to the combined utility bills. I, I'd love to counsel to see if that's a, if something that you all want to, want to hear. Yeah, I'd like to hear about it. Yes. yes. Good evening. Good evening. Uh, the purpose of my presentation, my quick presentation tonight, is to explain the variability in the Hampton Roads Utility Bill or HRUBS that folks have been making comments about on social media lately. Do this, I guess. Aha. Okay. Um, HRUBS is the billing system. It's Hampton Roads Utility Billing <coughs> System. It's owned by Hampton Roads Sanitation District, which is the region's uh, wastewater treatment authority. And the city has a <coughs> private contractor who reads our meters. Then we calculate what the bill should be, and we send all that information to Hampton Roads Sanitation District, and they send out the bills. That way, our customers don't have to pay for two bills to be sent to them. you do it. Uh -huh. um, there are three entities that put charges on the bill. There are charges from the Department of Utilities, the Department of Public Works, and Hampton Road Sanitation District. And the ones that are on the bill from uh, Department of Utilities and Hampton Road Sanitation District are based solely on the amount of water that uh, the customer uses. And the rates are shown up there, and they're per CCF, which means 100 cubic feet, which is equivalent to 748 gallons. So you get charged for every 748 gallons that you use for water, wastewater collection, and then wastewater treatment. The public works charges for refuse disposal and stormwater are on a daily basis. So uh, the amount you get charged in a particular month depends on the number of days that is in that particular billing cycle. There are two factors that will um, affect the amount of your um, rubs bill. And basically, a customer can use the same amount of water every month, but their bill will still be potentially $41 different. And the reason for that, there's, there's two reasons. One is the way the water meters work, and the other one is the number of days in the billing cycle. And the way the water meters work is they only register full CCFs. So it only registers, it only moves one every time you use a whole 748 gallons of water. So if you use 6.1 CCF, the meter is going to read 6. If you use 6.9 CCF, the meter is going to read 6 and it won't switch to seven until you click over. So what that means is that the same usage every month could end up being a, a difference of two CCF that you'd have on your bill, which uh, relates to or will end up costing you $28.80. So um, one different, a $28.80 difference from one month to the next. Then when you get to the days in the billing cycle, the billing cycle can change from 27 days to 36 days. It ranges in between there depending on uh, multiple things. And our uh, refuse and stormwater fees are $1.29 uh, cents a day. And so for that nine days difference between the 27 and 36, that amounts to about $12 per month. 
So if you were in the situation, it just so happened that the way your meter clicked, you ended up um, having a variance of two CCF, um, and there was a long billing cycle, your bill could be $41 more one month than another, even though you used the same amount of water. Kristen. Yes. What would cause the billing cycle, what, if, what causes that fluctuation in billing cycles? Uh, City holidays, um, uh, snow events, uh, hurricanes, uh, people having something parked on top of their meter and that their particular cycle will be longer than somebody else because you have to send somebody out another time, those sorts of things. So each billing cycle is actually by person, it, ch it can change? Well, it's by route. Okay. But if somebody has something on top of their meter, they will be different from the rest okay. of the route because we'll have to send somebody back another day. And that'll end up making their billing cycle longer. And as a way of explaining how this works and what could happen to a person, if you took uh, a customer who had an average usage of nine CCF a month, how the meter works is if in <coughs> January they used 10 CCF and the meter reader read 100 on the meter, then the next month in February, the meter reader would read 108. So 108 minus 100 is 8, and they'd get billed for 8 CCF. Then the next month, they read 117, and the 117 minus 108 makes the 9, so they'd get billed for 9 CCF. Now this next month in April, the, me the reader meter makes a mistake, and they read 118. And so 118 minus 117, the person only gets billed for 1 CCF. And then the next month, what ends up happening is they read it correctly in May. And so they read 136. And the 136 minus the 118 is 18 CCF. And what happens is that person's going to get a lot higher bill that month. And how it works is when the person gets the 1 CCF bill, they never call us. When they get the 18 CCF bill, we get the calls. And what we do when that happens is even though they've actually used the water that if you take the 1 plus the 18, they owe all that money because it's upsetting for them, et cetera, we just um, give them a courtesy adjustment, making it to their average. So we would charge, in this case, that person 9 CCF if they call us. <coughs> and um, our customer service manager, Trinette Hodges, is happy to talk to anybody about their um, public service bill, as am I. And that number is the, the um, number straight to her desk. And um, we are very ha happy to talk to anybody who has concerns. But I think the social media comments have been related to that variability. Yes, ma'am. Is there a way to use technology to better track what our meters are saying, our reading? Um, I was thinking that. Some kind of there are ways to do that. You can use uh, automated meter reading. However, it's very, very expensive, and some of the localities around who have implemented it, for example, Portsmouth, are not having good experiences. Are we looking at a different reading contract, though, which utilizes yes. some technology there? Well, our um, meter reading contract expires this fall, and our new specifications require that the meter reader, when they um, read the meter, they will have they will be able to look at the history of that particular customer, 
And if the usage they read is outside of their normal range, you know they have a range, then um, the meter reader will take a picture of the meter and the reading and it will get uploaded to the cloud so that if the citizen calls, we can show them a picture of this is the date, the time, and we'll have also have GPS um, coordinates of the uh, meter so we'll know it's theirs. Dr. Woodley has a question. I just want to say I went through this in our neighborhood last year and I cannot thank Kristen enough. I mean, her team, I just, I got to the point where I just shot her, forwarded every complaint and she handled it beautifully and every one of my citizens was re really pleased by the response. So, I know it's a thorny and it can be confusing, but I, I really appreciate all the efforts your team has done. Mr. Smeagol? Um, one, I just want to thank for getting this on the agenda because it's one of those council concerns that I think everybody needs to hear. And I know it sounded like just a Bayview issue, but there's, I know Angela and I talked about it, Andrew and I've talked about it. So this is good that we have this information so that we can educate when we go out to Civic Leagues and make sure they have it. Because I plan on bringing this PowerPoint printed to be able to give out to um, residents and I'll talk to them about that as well. I'm just curious, how many gallons of water is it when a toilet gets flushed and, and then maybe a dishwasher cycle? I know there's variances depending on how old, but just an idea because that's one of the things people don't understand how much water they actually end up using. So 740 whatever gallons sounds like a lot, but I don't know if people realize how much water they actually use. So I just, I didn't know if you knew that. I couldn't tell you the numbers right off the top of my head, but I know an old toilet can use 30 gallons easily. Uh, the new toilets use hardly any, yeah. much to our okay. chagrin. Mr. Riddick? Yeah, I have, since we had you here, I got a couple of questions. One I've been trying to get to answer. You might have given it to me. <laughs> when Hampton Road Sanitation District tags a customer and the $25 goes, is collected, do we share in that money or does Hampton Road Sanitation District keep all of it? You have asked that question, and I have, <laughs> I have answered it before, yeah. and I can't can remember the you. answer. I will. And, and also, do we still charge the dollar uh, service fee? No, sir. Drop that. No, sir. So that's an important point that in Norfolk, and we're the only city that the citizens have 100% control over their water charge. If you use no water, you don't pay anything. And if you use no water, you pay no sewer collection fee either. Whereas, like in Virginia Beach, they have a flat fee so that somebody with six kids paying the same amount for a sewer as, you know, little old lady. In regard to what Mr. Whitty asked about the um, hang tagging the toilet paper, do we have any control over that, or is that just their practice? Because it seems like it's a waste of gas and energy and time to go hang out. I mean, I don't know... I, you know, Dominion, they, you know, they send you a letter, they send you a letter, they, I mean, it, is that the best use of how to get people who are delinquent to pay? Does that prove to be effective? Uh, I believe Hampton Road Sanitation District thinks it's not the best use of resources, and they are um, looking at, at changing that. And they're, um, I'm glad to hear you say that because they're concerned of getting um, pushback from customers. Unfortunately, there are some customers who don't pay till they get it. Well, when they get, well, because when you pay online, you have to enter in an email address and a phone number. So they're able to capture that information also. So they could, in essence, send 
a text message, they could send an email, they could send a, um, a message to somebody. If they're given a home phone number. We call. That could, okay. We do call. Okay. Hey, Mr. Manager. Thank you. Thank you, Mayor. I, I, I think you all have seen, but folks at home maybe not, don't realize <coughs> in the last couple of days um, how hands-on um, staff has been with these individuals. Kristen has literally herself been sitting in people's living rooms explaining these bills because the reality is it is a very personal bill, so you can't answer all the questions unless you literally sit down across from that person. Um, Kristen's a good example. Our next presenter is, is another one. I, I, some of y'all have heard me say, I think part of the, the legacy that, that, that Marcus Jones will leave is, is the talent that he brought into the organization. And one of my goals is to put some of that talent in front of you all from time to time. And tonight's an example. Greg Patrick, um, who is now your interim uh, director of bu budget and strategic planning, is going to give you the general fund mid-year budget update. And um, Greg has jumped in. You all know we've, we've a number of folks uh, left at the, the late fall. Uh, Greg has, has stepped in, uh, done a dynamite job, and I uh, want to give him a chance to, to make this presentation to you. And this, again, is trying to give you some context uh, for the regional economy and our own budget as we head into some big decisions this spring. So, Greg? Good evening, Mr. Mayor, members of council. Thank you for the opportunity to present to you today. Uh, I have the opportunity to present the FY17 mid-year budget update. Uh, the presentation is going to cover uh, our economic backdrop and the outlook going forward. Uh, we'll give you a recap of FY 2016 results. Uh, we'll, we'll take a look at uh, how FY 17 is tracking, and we'll provide a preliminary look at what we expect for FY 18 and beyond. Um, so our economic backdrop, we, we, we look at through uh, a number of different lenses, uh, gross domestic product, personal income growth, uh, employment, um, and in general what we're seeing is growth, but slow growth that's, that's lagging the nation. So if we take a look at uh, GDP growth, uh, what we see is prior to the recession, uh, Hampton Roads was growing faster than the, the nation as a whole. And this was primarily down to defense spending. Um, since the recession, the opposite is true. Um, GDP growth has lagged the nation. And again, uh, defense spending is primarily the reason, along with some federal budget uncertainty. If we take a look at uh, personal income growth, and the chart you see here is, um, is, uh, is over a 10-year period from 2005 to 2015, uh, what we see is that uh, in, the, in the city of Norfolk, our personal income growth has actually lagged the region as a whole, uh, and the region has lagged uh, the United States. Uh, if we look at uh, employment, uh, similar story, uh, the United States and the, and the Commonwealth of Virginia uh, in total employment level uh, now exceeds uh, the pre-recession peak, uh, while in Hampton Roads, uh, we've yet to rebound uh, to our, to our pre-recession peak. Uh, a similar trend is, is projected going forward. Uh, employment is projected to grow, uh, but at a rate that, that lags the nation. Uh, if we look at uh, regional gross domestic product and, and other key indicators, our, our regional economists also project moderate growth. Uh, projected GDP growth is um, less than 1.5%. Uh, this lags the nation, and it also lags the region's 10-year average, which is about 2.5%. Uh, FY 2016 uh, year-end results. If you remember, uh, at the fall council retreat, um, we gave you a preliminary year-end uh, update. 
where we were projecting a surplus of about $5.4 million. Uh, since that point in time and after we've updated final numbers, uh, that number has increased by uh, $1.7 million. Um, at the council retreat, uh, council uh, directed the administration to use $4.4 million of that anticipated surplus uh, to close the projected FY 2018 base budget ga gap uh, through debt reduction, uh, and we appreciate that. This has helped a lot. Um, we're recommending uh, a similar use for the remaining 2.7, uh, which is to designate these funds for, for one-time actions in FY 18 or for debt reduction strategies or debt mitigation strategies. Uh, these recommendations uh, are in line with uh, the financial policies that Council adopted in, in 2013. Uh, the policies state, uh, first and foremost, uh, achieve a structurally balanced budget. A structurally balanced budget is when ongoing revenue matches ongoing expenses. Um, secondly is to uh, fully fund reserves or increase uh, pay-as-you-go capital. Uh, in 2013, Council also adopted debt affordability measures. Uh, simply put, uh, total debt should not exceed 3.5% of assessed value, and debt service costs should not exceed 10% of the general fund budget. So how are we doing? Where are we with our financial policies? Um, we achieved a structurally balanced budget in fiscal year 2015, which was, which was four years ahead of schedule. Uh, the FY16 and FY17 budgets are also structurally balanced. Uh, we have uh, reserves are fully funded to their policy goals. Uh, Council fully funded the risk management and economic downturn reserve to their $5 million policy goals in 2016. Uh, and the general fund unassigned reserve exceeds 5% of the general fund budget. Uh, while we are within uh, the debt affordability measures set by Council, we are getting closer to these limits as we manage our debt. We're beginning to see the, the full effect of large generational projects uh, the city has undertaken in the last decade plus on our debt service and capacity. Uh, this chart compares the size of the general capital improvement plan over the last 10 years with what is planned going forward. Uh, as we've communicated to uh, the credit rating agencies, we're entering a period of, of maintenance CIP where we focus on existing infrastructure. Uh, we continue to manage our debt within our affordability measures. Uh, much like Equifax or TransUnion might inform a car lender whether or not I'm likely to repay a car loan, uh, our, our credit rating agencies inform investors on Norfolk's ability to meet its obligations. Uh, the better our rating, the less we pay in bond interest. Uh, we've received very positive feedback from rating agencies lately. Uh, so Moody's in 2013 uh, said they would give no consideration whatsoever to a, to a bond rating upgrade. Um, in September 2016, they actually considered positive movement. And if we look at Fitch uh, in 2015, they actually made mention that the uh, city adopted financial policies, uh, moving the city in the, proper, in the proper direction, and they were referring to the, the financial policies that council put in place in, in 2013. So uh, FY17 mid-year mid review, how are we doing? Uh, so let's first take a look at our, um, our total financial plan. So if you can, if you, uh, Combine the general fund, all of our non-general funds, uh, the CIP, and the HUD annual plan, our total spend plan is about $1.2 billion. Uh, our general fund, or the main operating fund, is, is about $835 million, or uh, roughly two-thirds. 
So if we take a closer look at the general fund, what you'll see is uh, while that $835 million seems like a big number, a, a, lot, of, a lot of this, uh, the, the funds are already designated. So uh, just shy of 40% is dedicated to Norfolk Public Schools, and another roughly 40% is, is designated for uh, other uses, whether it's debt, employee benefits, uh, public safety, social services. Uh, what that leaves for all other city services is uh, about $175 million or, or just over 20% of the total general fund budget. Uh, through the second quarter, we are tracking two budget. Um, if anything, we, we are expecting a, a very small surplus. So looking forward, FY18 and beyond. So first, let's, let's uh, go through an overview of the, of the budget development process. Um, so first, we start with our FY17 adopted budget. Uh, then we develop the base budget uh, by removing one-time items, um, annualizing prior year actions, so the salary increase that we just gave in, in January, uh, or new buildings that, that open during the year. Uh, we then adjust benefits and uh, any contractual obligations. Uh, at this point, we arrive at the base budget, which is preliminarily presented to council, generally at the fall council retreat. Uh, after the base budget is developed, um, new policies are added, uh, like salary increases or new programs, and this is what will ultimately form the proposed budget that will come to you in, in, a, couple of, in, a, in a couple of months. So our guiding principles for budget development, uh, firstly, we view all actions through a, a multi-year lens. Uh, we make sure we understand how an action uh, we take in FY18 will impact uh, FY19 and beyond. Uh, we take a, a multi-pronged approach. We look holistically at how to balance the budget, uh, where we look for ways to raise revenues and, and reduce expenditures. Uh, we also concentrate on efficiency initiatives, growing the economy, and leveraging all of our resources. And, and then finally, uh, the concept that, that underpins uh, the entire budget development process is, is maintaining fiscal, fiscal discipline. Uh, this includes adhering to Council's financial policies, uh, maintaining structural balance, and effectively managing debt and employee benefit cost increases. So to recap from the fall council retreat, the $4.4 million in surplus funds uh, council designated to close the FY18 gap uh, means we have no base budget gap uh, as we begin budget development. So thank you very much for that. That's made our lives a lot easier. Uh, if we take a look back over the past five or six years, you'll see that our preliminary base budget gaps continue to decrease. Uh, this is partially due to improvement in the economy, uh, but much of the success we have, we've seen here, is down to strong financial management uh, in the Financial Policies Council put in place in, in 2013. Uh, pay close attention to the decrease from FY15 to FY16. Uh, this is largely a result of achieving structural balance in fiscal year 2015 uh, and speaks to the importance of, uh, can, of maintaining structural balance as we, as we move forward. Uh, looking at revenue drivers in FY18, uh, the past few years have seen the announcement of uh, numerous high-profile economic development deals. Uh, many, of the, many of these investments will begin to, to pay off for us in, in fiscal year 2018. Uh, while we continue to see good news on the economic development front, uh, growth in the city's largest source of locally generated revenue, uh, real estate tax, has lagged historical uh, growth averages. Uh, projections are for this trend to continue. Uh, to add some context, uh, overall taxable assessed value is $600 million below the 2010 peak, 
uh, and residential assessed values is $1.3 billion uh, below the peak. Um, on the residential side, this amounts to uh, more, uh, more than $14 million in potential revenue. Uh, expenditure drivers are similar to prior years. Uh, debt, compensation, employee benefits, new facilities uh, are, are really what's, what's driving growth. Uh, as was mentioned earlier, uh, debt service costs continue to be a major expenditure driver. Uh, as we finish our generational projects and continue to pay for the projects we've completed, it'll be important that we effectively manage debt and debt service within our affordability measures. While we don't have a base budget gap in FY18 at this point, uh, this does not include a salary increase. So if we were to provide a salary increase in FY18 uh, similar to what was provided uh, this year in FY17, it'll cost around $3.7 million uh, and result uh, in a budget gap. What kind of increase is that? You said based on what we did last year, that was 2%? So uh, in 17, we did 2% for general employees, uh, a, a, a step for general employees and constitutional officers. A step increase for um, for sheriff. Um, we did um, living wage adjustments, and we reclassified some of the positions that were most regionally out of market. Um, in seventeen, we also implemented a new public safety plan, pay plan, um, which provided increases to um, police and fire of at least two and a half percent, and in most cases more than that. Uh, looking forward to eighteen, if we were to do something similar. Um, it would be a step for police and fire and sheriff, 2% uh, for general employees, 2% for <coughs> constitutional officer employees. Um, but no readjustments. Do we still have readjustments? We'll, we'll still do readjustments, yeah. Okay. Um, are those in existing positions or are those in um, <coughs> to be higher positions? So they would, be, they would be existing positions. And keep, it, keep in mind, this is all hypothetical and, and depends on, on what goes in the, in the um, proposed I'm just budget. i to get an understanding of what that number includes, includes when you say that. So market rate adjustments. So basically what we'll do is we'll take a look at um, positions around the city, classification, job titles, and we will compare that to what people in the same, with the same job description, not necessarily the same job title, in other uh, local localities earn. Both we'll take a look at the minimums and we'll take a look at kind of the, the midpoint. Uh, based on that, typically our rule of thumb has been if you earn 7%, if you're 7% out of market or more, uh, we increase your grade by, we increase you by one grade. If you are seven, roughly 17% out of market or more, um, there's, a, there's a two grade increase. 17. 17, yeah. So, um, so, 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 so you finish? Uh, I have Go one right more. I'm sorry. Um, well, and this might not be specifically for you, but I would like for us to take a look at where we are with the gender pay, um, how we fare on gender pay okay. for those who have started with the city with the same kind of credentials and whatever else in the same positions, where we are with the whole gender equality pay. I'd like to see where we are with that. Okay. So, so Doug, um, yes, looking at the projections, um, we're, we're lagging behind on sales and use tax. We're lagging behind on real estate taxes. We're lagging behind on uh, personal property taxes. 
which will create a gap in 2019 because of the level of services that we are providing, the cost to deliver those services. So what is the path forward so that we are not faced with a $11.5 million gap to reduce the cost of those services? You want to, or to, or to grow? I think it might be helpful to finish. You've got a couple more slides. Yeah, so that there's a couple more slides in here, and I think we can circle back to that. All right, thank you. Um, so uh, FY19, we're looking at a gap of, of $11.5 at this point. And keep in mind that um, this is this is just a forecast. So we're taking a look at, at uh, estimated revenue, estimated expenditures. The forecast, the forecast is based on indicators, based on economists, it's based on trends, based on regularity. So you don't do forecasts just to do them. You do them based on trends. Do we, do we still have the same forecaster, or did Marcus take her too? Not yet. No, she's here. <laughs> All right, go ahead, um, and, and this is just to maintain services as they as they exist uh, as they Very exist expensive. now. All right. These um, these budget gaps also persist in out years, whether we do or don't um, give a salary increase. Um, so keep in mind, you know, as we discussed, base budget um, is just the cost to provide services as they exist today. Uh, any new programs or initiatives uh, or, or compensation increases will um, increase our uh, projected budget gaps. So I'd like to go back to answer your question, Mr. Mayor, to this slide. Um, so this has been our approach to solve our budget gap issues in the past. And that is to look at, um, to take a multi-pronged approach. Um, and we've done a lot of uh, efficiency um, initiatives in the past, and we continue to look at that. In fact, there's, there's an entire um, a bureau in the budget office that's, that's designated to uh, figure out what we're doing, why we're doing it, and how we can do it better. Um, so to give you some examples, over the course of the last uh, four or five years, uh, we've saved a uh, million and a half dollars by closing the central storehouse. Uh, we review, um, uh, reviewed uh, contracts phone bills, phone uses, maintain, um, mainframe replacements, $2.1 million in savings, $2.3 million in savings in, in discretionary spending. Um, we transitioned to a uh, self-administered healthcare model that, that created about $6 million in cost avoidance. Um, through renegotiating contracts and other agreements, we've saved about $9 million. Um, we have implemented some, some novel uh, uh, financing strategies for debt that have created over $12.5 million worth of savings. And by eliminating redundant or vacant positions, we've, we've saved over, over $16 million. So these are the types of efficiency initiatives that we look for on, on a yearly basis. And while the projection uh, shows that, that we're going to have a gap, we, we work to, to manage our debt, to, to look at every opportunity possible to, to find efficiencies and reduce costs. Uh, we ask departments to look at their budgets um, and to find areas where they can reduce costs. Um, so I understand the efficiencies and streamli streamlining, that's great. But if the services continue, that we provide continues to grow, continues to be a demand on, on, on city services, you either have to, to cut those services to balance your budget, raise taxes, which I'm not a fan of, or grow your economy. Absolutely. That's it. 
So um, we got our annual real estate assessment notice again, and I'm getting, I've said this before with Marcus, we run a very conservative um, office down there, and I know that we're going to be going through the search again um, on this, and I'm not saying Bill's done anything wrong, but I think it said that we're only expecting a 1.35% increase in real estate taxes, and I'm wondering what our surrounding localities are going to announce that their real estate taxes are. I think we're still behind um, and missing out on opportunity. I'm re I went through this and looked at neighborhoods and I just can't believe that there's declines in some neighborhoods. And I don't know if our model that we're still using for a real estate assessment in Norfolk is outdated and maybe there's new technology out there that would help with fixing some of this. And we have to be careful too because we don't also want to jump a neighborhood up 50%, which has happened before, and then everybody goes crazy. <clears throat> but we still haven't recovered. Just looking at this, it still looks like we're still um, before. Yeah, and that bothers me because when that's one of your big sources, unfortunately, of income, you know, the pay for city services, when people complain about, you know, the streets not being resurfaced, there's a reason why, because we don't have the cash coming in to be able to do that unless we cut from other areas. Now, if they want to pay for it, you know, that, and, and that's where, unfortunately, sometimes the tax increase conversation comes in, is we're not generating that from the real estate taxes based off of assessments, but you have to get it from somewhere if you want these city services to continue at that level. <clears throat> so, I mean, it's not like, I don't think, I mean, the last four years, we're not, we haven't been going out and spending a lot of money on big projects. Um, you know, we have a firehouse we're building, there's, you know, and schools. But that kind of is being taken care of by you know that one tax increase so I mean I, I still have some concerns I've had concerns the last couple of years about the small amounts that come out I mean at the end it makes most of our citizens happy because they're not getting these huge tax bills you know with their assessment increase but at the same time when they start questioning about city services and seeing a reduction in that that's where that that's what's paying for it um, and I know it was it every I know it's every penny tax increases uh, 1.8 million dollars, but uh, real estate. What's one percent real estate? 1.8 million. 1. 8, it's the same. It's a, a, same as that. So, I mean, I think Virginia Beach had announced like a five percent when we were still below one percent that one year. And also, this is going to cause a public hearing, right? Because we're over one percent. That's right. Is yeah. Ready? Yeah. Um, so 19 is uh, July of 18, right? Correct. So. Between the Outlet Mall, IKEA, the Main, Harbor's Edge, Waterside, has that been taken in consideration as to what that might bring us? It has, um, and, and we've included that in our in our revenue projections. Right. So we've got um, right now we are planning. So in FY eighteen, mm -hmm. um, the Main uh, of, of the. Um, the revenue drivers we mentioned uh, in 18, the main will start producing revenue for us. Uh, Movement Mortgage is already uh, up and running. Uh, ADP's uh, downtown, and, and they're adding they're adding positions. Uh, Norfolk Southern's already transferred their positions in. Uh, Allen Mall will open during 18, um, and Waterside will be open during 18. So we're already considering um, the revenue growth that we're going to see from these projects in the projections. So, Mr. Reddy, one of the things that I think that we need to consider when you look at these projects, one would think and hope that uh, that they will be revenue drivers, and they should be. 
but also we need to consider the agreement that we have, be it a performance grant or revenue sharing, or what taxes we're remitting back. So one may think that you know, we're going to receive 100% of the sales and use taxes generated there or real estate taxes or, or what have you, but we have to look at each agreement and see mm -hmm. what we are actually remitting back. So his numbers are very conservative. Mm -hmm. You would think that we'll have this windfall. Mm -hmm. So we have to really look to see exactly. And that's why to make better deals. Well, that's exactly right. You, yeah. should, you can get to your very last slide. I want to talk about the very last slide. Because I think y'all are, this is exactly the conversation we, we wanted to have. And um, you know, for me, uh, what you all have done these last couple of years is you have put um, a certain level of fiscal discipline in place and some policies in place that have served you well. So part of this next budget you're going to get from us is going to obviously maintain those policies and we're going to ask you to continue that fiscal discipline. Um, so I think you can feel good about how you're managing your finances. Uh, what we also have to acknowledge is, you know, we keep hearing this phrase, the new normal. And, and the new normal, the reality is we've got a region that isn't growing as, as fast as the rest of the, of the country. And we've got a city within that region that isn't growing as fast as, as, our, as our neighboring cities. So it's just as, as we come in and make choices, and that's what you're, really what you're talking about, Mayor, is we're going to have to make some choices about, about what, we, what we invest in, what we spend, and, and whether it's uh, who, who we give money to or who we don't give money to. And we've just, I think this gives you good context for those conversations. So, Joe, we just have to know the return on investment. I mean, it has to be, has to be clearly stated. It has to be transparent. What is it clear? What is the return on investment when we are spending taxpayer dollars um, and doing these deals? Ms. Johnson. And we, Mr. Manager, we've discussed previously um, who we give money to, mm -hmm. how much money we're giving mm -hmm. to them, and um, what is our return. Um, in many cases, we're giving money, but we're not getting money back. And Mr. Riddick has requested for years since I've been here that we need to carefully take a look at um, a review of uh, our money going out, see if it's beneficial uh, that we continue to put money into things instead of uh, um, saying, okay, it, it takes a lot of money for us to repair uh, roofs on schools. Um, public vehicles and things like that. Well, is it more beneficial for us to then say, well, we're going to change our way of, of doing things and how do we figure out um, doing that? Because those things become costly. Old is, oh, not to offend anyone, but after several uses over many, many years, you can't um, get blood from a turnip, so we have to figure out how we could better replace it and get more money for, for our book. Also, I'm very interested in, um, you know, we understand that the military takes up a lot of our land, um, and that's not a problem, but we also have people coming to us requesting for... Um, uh, tax-exempt status and what does that do to our budget when we have so many people coming to us to request uh, tax-exempt status that means that we're not collecting revenue am I correct 
But we also need to go back and look at the ones we've granted and yes. whether or not there's still, there needs to be almost an audit of review. And I've you know mentioned this before. I, I mean, there's property that have, has been made tax exempt that is not being used for a nonprofit status. And so, you know, from the past, we need to go back and look at that. Start. I mean, and there's churches, I've said this before, that are now vacant. They have vacant property, and that property sitting there waiting for somebody to come in and offer a big amount of money on it, but they should be paying taxes on it, or the bank should be paying taxes on it now. And maybe that will light a little bit of fire under um, them to get rid of the property faster so that it can get back on the tax rolls. Well, in there, too, much tax exemption. In there, the tax by, by, law, by law, so to speak, and then there's the tax by the tax exemption by council. I mean, those are not the actual names for it, but right. like there's- it's Classification and okay. designation. Okay, thank you. So so there's there? classification, okay. which their classification qualifies Federal them, state. period. So we don't really have any control over that. But the ones that I think you're talking about are Churches. the designations that we do, um, the, the parsonages and daycares and, and all those kinds of extra stuff that people come for us Mr. Mr. Riddick? Yeah. I'd just like to say that we can't, although we have this dilemma, we can't uh, reduce services. No. You know, if anything, we need to increase our public works dollar because we have the worst streets in the region. Yes. Uh, I have a friend who, in the last, I don't know, year and a half, has replaced three sets of tires uh, because of potholes. And uh, now public works is coming out with a new material that goes over a badly repaired, a, badly, uh, a street that's badly in need of repair. And uh, as opposed to doing just resurfacing like we normally do. And that's what I would uh, want Public Works to tell us about this new uh, fabric that goes over a badly, a street in badly need of repair to save money. Uh, we can't, you know, turn, turn into skin flints. Uh, we, we, we really have to provide services. We are, I don't think our taxpayers are getting what they deserve. They're not getting their dollars worth. And so I don't, you know, believe that although we are in, you know, in dire straits, could be, just don't believe that we could even think about reducing services. I don't think we could even think about um, uh, raising taxes. One of the things we need to do is look at how efficiently we are. I bet you we, we uh, I don't know how many, I bet you we, we waste, I don't know, six or seven million dollars a year because of inefficiency in a billion dollar budget. That might seem like a lot of money, but it's not. And I think what we need to do is find out from inside is what we can do to be more efficient. Now, you just listed several things that, you know, that sound like we're on the right track, you know, doing that. But uh, we can't reduce services, and I think we need, and certainly we're not going to raise taxes. But what we need to do is to find out how efficiently we are running, whether we are a well-oiled machine, as your president likes to say. But really, really look on the inside and see how efficiently we're running, and and what we can say to our employees, because you could be you'd be surprised, but you might not be. If you have a disgruntled employee, they could cost you hundreds of thousands of dollars in different departments. So what we need to do is go to our employees, uh, let them know that, hey, if you want this one or 2%, you gotta help us become more efficient. One year, years ago, somebody said, well, cut off your computers at night and different things like that. Uh, so 
uh, I guess my point is we can't afford to reduce services and we're not going to raise taxes so we have to look inwardly to find out how efficiently we're running and how much money we're wasting uh, of that billion dollar plus budget that we have. So, so um, I'm going to go to Andrea, but let me just say, the reality is 40%, as much as 40% of our property is non-tax, either through classification or because it's designated. On top of that, one in five families live in poverty. 20% of our population is in poverty. Services um, that Mr. Riddick uh, alluded to, um, those services are being, a lot of services are being provided by the city. We have to grow our way. Can't tax our way. We have to grow our economy. And and as um, I guess Mr. Riddick said, we have to be smarter with uh, deals that we structure from, from here on. Andrea. Um, two points. Um, one is uh, innovations in buying funding, um, particularly with regards to resiliency and mitigation. We can, we're not getting any money from the state anytime soon. The federal government's going to take forever. Um, I know that we've maxed out our credit card as a city, but we've got to continue this. I'm just going to we got to look at different ways to find that, whether it's social impact financing, whether it's a, a TIF or bid or whatever we call it. I just, that's number one. Number two is, um, again, an innovation. I think that we cannot reduce services. I think that we can with utilizing technology and innovation, we can continue to find new ways to deliver services better. Um, and we should also enlist the help of our entrepreneurial community to help us identify those opportunities as well. Um, because they're doing it all over the country, and we should be doing it here um, to save money. Uh, so I, I would close. No, no, Just Dr. Wood. Real quick. When we talked about this at the last retreat um, with the annual fund budget, and we increased our risk management, we're even a little bit over, you said, over the five million. The, the risk management reserve. So, Bernard, is that enough? Oh, uh, I'll thank yes you. Yes or no? Just no. Yes or no? Um, yeah. that, uh, we talked about uh, spending the surplus for risk management, and the recommendation today was for um, debt reduction. No, I know. Right. And, and right. I'm just saying, right. I'm. I'm it's not I, what we I get the debt reduction, but I'm I'm concerned about some of our pending litigation, whether we are have adequate resources there. So I, I would like a, us to keep that I mean, in mind. That's a good, we're thoughtful conversation. Mr. Smigel, Mr. Riddick, um, riverboat gambling would fix this, <laughs> and yeah. we haven't talked about that in a couple of years. But I know um, Senator Lucas over in Portsmouth continues to be out on her own on on this all the time. But I don't. We left it out of our package, but once again, that 40% number, I know Portsmouth is a lot higher, not much higher though, they're 50%, aren't they half? We are, well, we are physically, we're the 13th, 14th, <coughs> right. stress city uh, in Virginia as well. Right, and I mean, at some point, we've got to, you know, if it's the Republican House members that we need to have a bigger <coughs> meeting with to convince them to allow these localities to find creative ways to generate funding, we've got to start having those conversations again and if it takes two or three, four years to try, eventually we've got to do something. And we've talked before too about the port and um, you know the uh, damage that the, the there's negatives that come with having the port in this area too. But where are we getting the money back on that? Um, and so there's you know we've had those conversations before, but as we talked about the retreat, sometimes there's a lot of talk, but and then stuff goes away and we forget about it. And we've got to keep that kind of stuff. I, I mean I don't think there was anybody, I know we have a new council that was really anti-continuing pushing the riverboat gambling. I, I, I mean, 
everybody was kind of supportive of it. Yeah. I mean, I know we got a little bit of pushback from some of the religious side, but they're not paying taxes. So I mean, if, they, if they want to pay taxes, then we can, you know, then we won't have to do it. But we got we have to start looking at other sources as well. All right. So, so again, good context for the conversations we're going to have this spring. I would tell you a couple of things that uh, I, I think you've got very good fiscal policies in place. We will continue to maintain those. I, I hear you on the efficiency, but I would also tell you I'm, I'm extremely impressed with with the organization and, and the collaboration and the way this 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 um, organization delivers the services we do. But we'll always look for initial efficiencies, just like the ones that that, that he reeled off. So with that, before we go into, are you you, you finish? Before yes, we go into close, we got one, one in open. Okay. We got the, the palace on, on Plume, Cynthia yes. Hall. Bernard, do you want to frame this for Cynthia? Uh, Greg, thank, thank you. Thank you, Craig. Yes, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And, well, and, no, we got to have and, and before I, I just run through, it'll take me 30 seconds to go through the process for the hearing on the palace. Um, that um, several of you had asked for uh, an ordinance, ordinances addressing increasing protection or prohibiting discrimination for sexual orientation or identification. And, uh, we uh, tweaked it to make sure it conformed with the governor's executive order and is with you tonight. Uh, it's essentially the same as what we had sent out several months ago. If you want to add that tonight. We are, and I want to thank um, Martin Thomas, uh, who called me about it. Uh, he sent um, Mike from Hampton Roads Pride to, to visit with me, and uh, we added uh, language from the state to make sure that we can form our policy. I know Andrea was, was telling me as well. So I, uh, I asked Bernard to conform the ideas that we received to make sure that we were conforming to what the state. Thank you. So we'll add that as our seven tonight. And the palace process is, is, is simple. It's a, a public hearing where the city speaks first as a 15 minute limit. Then the uh, 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 exception holder speaks second and has a 20-minute limit, and then the city has uh, up to a five-minute uh, rebuttal. So if everybody uses their time, it's a total of 40 minute, minutes, and it's just that simple. The council then can vote on the ordinance tonight, or if it wanted to uh, deliberate and, and vote on it later, it, it could do that. There's not a requirement that you vote immediately, but that has been our practice. It's just that simple. Do we have to hear it tonight? Um, I, I, I am not prepared to hear. I have so much material uh, on both sides of the legend. And uh, Mr. Mayor, I mentioned to you, I respectfully ask for a continuance on this, you know, until maybe sometime in March. Mr. Riddick, that motion will be made upstairs. Okay. So why, I hope we don't have to go through this exercise, because if we go through this exercise, we'll just get one side of the, which um, is just the administration side and not the other side. Mr. Pishko is not making a presentation okay. uh, that, um, in this setting. Okay. Uh, we will start upstairs with the, with the, with the motion. Okay. We received a request for a continuance right. uh, from Mr. Martingale. And uh, if that motion fails, right. then we will proceed. Mr. Pishko is just laying out. Uh, okay. So we're not doing that down here. No, sir. So we're not doing it down here. No, sir. Just a quick question based on Mr. Riddick's comments. Mm -hmm. yes. We received this information two weeks ago at the mm -hmm. council retreat. Um, and then about a week and a half ago, some additional information from uh, the palace. And I've received several emails, but have we received any additional information from two weeks ago? I mean, is the information still the same? My, I, I, uh, my problem is the fact that uh, I have now successfully had uh, eye surgery, but two weeks ago I couldn't read a thing. 
I haven't really been able to see a thing for the last four or five months. And so I just completed my second eye surgery on the 20th. And so now I can see, I don't even have glasses on. So I want that time to be able to go through that material. Uh, I got the material uh, at the uh, retreat, but I couldn't see it. So, know, so this is what will happen. So the motion would, will be for continuance. Right. But then that motion will be voted up or down right. upstairs. Would the continuance have a uh, follow-up date? It will have a to a date specific. And right. What would you like that to be? Uh, either the it'd probably be, the second it'd meeting. Be March twenty eighth. March twenty eighth. Mm -hmm. March twenty eighth. If if the continuance if, it, if it's successful. If it's successful. Yeah, March twenty eighth. Okay. Uh, but I'm serious. I couldn't couldn't see a thing. Tommy, you even look better. All right, before we go into yeah. close, let me just give a... <laughs> <laughs> That's really colored glasses. Uh, right, before we go into close, can I want to give a... Maybe glasses back on. <laughs> All right, before we go into close, let me give an update. At our last council meeting, we interviewed uh, for the executive uh, recruitment uh, firm, and we, of course, have selected uh, Ralph Anderson and Associates. Mr. Robert Berg, executive vice president, will lead the search. He is scheduled to visit... Um, Norfolk on March 23rd and the 24th. He will meet with members of the council as well as uh, members of our community. He's also offered to hold a community meeting on the evening uh, that he's here if we agree that that will be helpful. He also have offered to conduct an online community survey uh, to get more feedback and get the greatest number of citizens uh, to be heard. Uh, so March 23rd and 24th, Robert Byrd will, will be here in Norfolk to meet with us individually, as well as meet with members of, of the community. And if there's anything you would like for me to add, Ms. Johnson. Mm -hmm. So on March 23rd, he'll meet with the community, correct? He will have a, there will be a community uh, meeting, uh, if you wish. Uh, I'm looking for recommendations and suggestions. Uh, he will meet with stakeholders in the community. He'll meet with individual members of the council. Uh, and yes, there, there will can be a community meeting. So that's for us to decide. That's that for us to decide. Yes. yes. If we do the community meeting, it needs to be centrally located. It yes. cannot be down here, which we've done in the past. Um, oh, okay. Is that what the phone call was the other day? Okay. And we're willing to pay the fifty dollars. Yes, you have to pay. All right. No special favor. Locality shouldn't be. And also, Mr. Manager, on the efficiencies um, in responding back to citizens and, and you know, residents, I think, you know, the payroll issue, you know, we're still getting calls, and certainly we appreciate you taking the lead and uh, being involved in explaining to the community what's going on with payroll. The water bill issue, again, thank you for your leadership and your efficiencies. Um, but there, there are some other things that you know, we receive from, from citizens and um, they, they're still waiting to get a response. For example, I know one issue that Andrew and I have been working uh, with uh, the, um, the Virginia Humane Society. They are looking for a response. They want to enter into some type of uh, memoranda of understanding. Uh, they contacted us on February the 4th and as of last week, I initiated a letter just that we are in receipt of the communication, but I would like to uh, have the city to respond because the the request or the letter was addressed to the city. So we've so, got a detailed analysis prepared for you. It can go over that with, with okay. either or both of you and 
as early as tomorrow if you'd like to. But thank you very much. We, Mr. Clark? Sir, I move the members of the council assemble and close meeting on February 28, 2017 at 6.15 p.m. for purposes set out in clauses 3, 7, and 29 of section 2.2-3711 of the Virginia Freedom of Information Act. And that is discussion of the disposition of publicly held real property in the Wesleyan Drive, Northampton Boulevard area. Seven, consultation with legal counsel regarding two legal matters regarding a contested valuation and title issues. And 29, discussion of the award of a public contract involving expenditure of public funds and discussion of the terms or scope of such contract where discussion in open session would adversely affect the bargaining position of the public body. Ms. Graves? Aye. Ms. Johnson? Aye. Ms. McClellan? Aye. Mr. Riddick? Aye. Mr. Smigel? Mr. Thomas? Aye. Dr. Webley? Aye. Mr. Alexander? Aye. Aye. So, Mr. Riddick, you're 